Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we have a special treat. It's us! us! Woohoo! Oh my gosh, all these amazing interviews and being able to speak to influential people and people that have mentored us over all this time has had us want nothing else but to talk to ourselves. Yeah, you and me. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, today is inspired by one of our recent guests, actually, who had the most phenomenal transformation. And, you know, going from 330 pounds to 170 pounds in less than six years, you know, you have to know that it's not just the scale that moved, that there was a transformation there. And what this amazing woman, Sandy, brought forward was this idea of dreams versus goals. And so we're going to kind of have a little shooting match today um, with these two things and dreams v goals. And perhaps we're going to see that the problem lie in the fact that they have been woven too closely together and seen as the same thing when really they aren't the same thing at all and that they can interact with each other. And, you know, we want to make some distinctions today. But I do want to have a shout out to, to one of these amazing um, special guests that we've had because Sandy has really allowed us to redefine what we think about these ideas because they have been living in my, my life and Nat's life over so many years, but yet we haven't really made the distinction before. And so I wanted to start with one of my favorite stories. And of course, it's an Oprah story. This is becoming a trend. Um, and it was when she came to Brisbane to do a speaking engagement and she was basically on a world tour and doing Australian cities. And I remember sitting there wondering, will she be able to be as good a presenter as she is an interviewer? And she told this story and it convinced me that she absolutely is a presenter. And it was the story of her grandmother and growing up and remembering playing at the feet of her grandmother when she was um, 
working at a house. So she worked for this really nice white family and she was there, she cleaned their house, she did their laundry and Oprah remembers being outside with her on the clothesline and her grandmother was putting up the clothes and she looked over at Oprah and she said, hey, one day, Oprah, you need to find a really nice white family and then they will treat you well. And in that moment, Oprah remembers thinking, there is no way I ever want to work for a white family. If anything, all she could think of as a little girl was, I want to live under an oak tree as beautiful as the one I'm looking at right now. So as a little girl, this dream of having the shade of the oak tree keep her cool on a, on a hot day, this was the dream that was starting to form. And so then she, she relayed that just the other day, after giving the presentation, she had been sitting there with Stedman having a tea in one of her houses. I think it was in Maui, perhaps. And she said, as I drank under the oak tree, I said to Stedman, I dreamed this when I was a little girl. I had this dream. And, and she just was reliving how amazing it is to be able to take a dream that she once visualized to actually being living it. And Stedman said, but Oprah look out into the distance. What do you see? And as she looked out there, she saw more than a hundred oak trees adorning her property. And she realized that the dream that she had for her life was that oak tree, but that the universe and God and life had a dream much bigger for her. So that story has really um, inspired today as well and, and had us want to look at how does a dream actually manifest and how do we allow life, the universe, and God, you know, produce a miracle, a dream in our own lives. So, Nat is being very quiet next to me. She's very good at that, good at listening. Um, and so, you know, we thought, what a good way to start th things off, but to interview Nat a little bit, and because, you know, I just love interviewing people, um, and to discover, you know, how did dream and goal live in her experience? Because a lot of people got to experience Bondi 2000, you know, being on your home soil and, and living out what most people, especially athletes, would say was the dream come true. So, Nat, was Bondi 2000 actually the dream? Well, that was a, uh, not the specificity. I mean, we'll get into that a bit, a bit further as we're preparing for today's podcast. The, the dream as a young girl, similar to Oprah, was to go to the Olympics. So there was no parameters around that dream. There was nothing specific at the time I was a swimmer. And so in my head, I guess I had imagined that it would be for swimming because that was the path I was on. But it was very clear that I wanted to go to the Olympics. And at that time, I didn't really know how. There was there was nothing sort of, oh, this is the path you follow if you want to go to the Olympics. It was just an inspiration, like Oprah looking up at the tree, me watching um, the competition on TV going, that's what I want to do. And did it matter that it was swimming? Like how, so you actually didn't see the Olympics per se, right? It, it wasn't no, even it, the Olympics. What was it that you saw that had you say, I want to go to the Olympics? Well, it was the Commonwealth Games, and I don't know whether I blended them both okay. together. It was a big international multi-sport event. Um, beach volleyball that happened, it happened to be at the end, wasn't in the Commonwealth Games. It was only in the Olympics. So I saw Lisa Curry, who was a famous swimmer at the time. I was eight, and 
I don't recall how old she was, but she won the 100 metres women's freestyle. She touched the wall first. I mean, I'm sure you've all seen the jubila jubilation that the swimmers have, and she probably pumped the water and took her goggles off and all excited. And then she got out of the pool. She she got on the podium with her Australian green and gold tracksuit on. She looked up at the Australian flag and sang Advance Australia Fair. She had a gold medal around her neck. She was crying. And I, point, I recall pointing at the TV saying, I want to do that. Right. So that was, whether it was the emotion, whether it was the feeling of the adrenaline uh, as you watch athletes today, um, who knows? Yeah, and, and it's kind of strange, isn't it, to go back and even think about these things because it was an eight-year-old's capacity, which we actually believe is the strongest. The fact that you were eight, Nat, is even stronger than you are today because there's some things that, we're going to talk about this in a sec, but they come in and, and kind of block you up as mm -hmm. you get older. Um, and so when you were imagining that feeling of standing there representing your country, the moment after you said, I want to do that, did you take any actions towards it? No. I mean, <laughs> I probably went to the fridge and got something to eat. Oh, yeah, what was and your what, favorite food back then? Tell yeah, everyone. Chocolate, French fries, it still is. No, those things with the cream. Oh, a lot, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I don't know if you've got them wherever you live, but they were long jam and cream donuts. And my grandfather used to, like, one a day I would have at this point. So they were my favorite. But chocolate, always there, and French fries too. So I probably went to the fridge and got some chocolate. Perfect. So, so I need everybody to, to, to hear that because, you know, that interview with Sandy, she said the same thing. She had these wake up in the night dreams for her life of how she wanted to be more like her friends and more, you know, have a certain kind of body. And then she said, and I woke up the next morning and I did absolutely nothing <laughs> towards it. So, I mean, I was swimming training God, at the so, time. So right. I, I was going swimming training, and then you probably for a while imagine being Lisa Curry and, and all of that. And this is almost 40 years ago. So I, I, I was engaged in the activity. Was this before or after your coach had to come to your house and get you up in the morning because you didn't want to wake up? Yeah, that's, that's another story. Like some, And this is, again, what happens, right? It, and there's this myth that all Olympians or all athletes love training and doing all the hard stuff every day I didn't want to go at the age of eight nine and ten wake up at 5 a.m and get out to the pool especially when it's cold every day so I would the alarm would go off my mum would come in knock actually I didn't have an alarm when I was that little mum would knock on the door and I'd say I've got a headache and so she would say okay you don't have to go love because mum was go, mom. mum was soft and, and that's I knew, so that's why I told her I had a headache. Yeah, don't tell dad. Yeah, not da so soft. Well, dad wasn't getting out of bed, so that was easy. And then, so then my coach started to come to the door and knock on the door at five a.m. and drag me by the ankle out of bed. So whether mum and dad, mum or the coach set that up as good cop bad cop, I don't think it was intentional. But he clearly saw something in me. I don't think he did that to everybody, but. Um, I don't think that would be allowed today, but... The reason why we're doing this interview and actually talking about this topic is because I believe that there is a societal assumption around dreams and goals that have nothing to do with how it actually happens, Nat. So I'm so glad you said you reached for a cream donut next. 
and that Sandy said, hey, I did absolutely nothing about it next. Because this is how we can begin to discover the distinction. Because I think everybody thinks you must have gone outside. Um, all of a sudden, you're, you became Michael Phelps in the pool. And all these things transformed. But that's not what it was like. The dream had its own entity. And then you went to life. And you had the same struggles and challenges, correct? Yeah. And I think as a dream, um, you sort of put it out. It's sort of oh, in the yeah. distance. It's out over there. So... Mm -hmm. Clearly doing something now is not, wasn't going to help or isn't going to help. That's sometimes the thought process. And the more you put it out there, the more it stays out there. And Abraham, who's someone we follow, would say, as you launch a rocket of desire or launch that dream out there, most people just forget they even launched it. Right. But However, it goes a long way. It goes out there. And because, you know, we're not interviewing you as an eight-year-old now. We're interviewing you in your young, you know, youth. youth of athleticism and beauty that you are today. We won't mention, well, we don't care about our age. Come on. 40, what are you? I'm 45 next year. Oh, I was going to say 46. Okay, okay. so you're going to be 45. So here we are. At 45, what would you say is one of the, you launched the rocket, and then there was another kind of key moment that was in the dream space. So, you know, you were at school and you saw something being advertised and it kind of evoked another dream. Yeah, so one of the things I wanted, as I was a little bit older, um, so you see on TV that Australians especially should go to America and visit Disneyland. And I thought that was awesome. That was the happiest place on earth. I wanted to go and meet Mickey Mouse and Goofy and Pluto and all of those and Disneyland was a place I wanted to go, so much so that I even had a map of Disneyland on my wall. Big map, huge, above my bed. And I knew exactly where Space Mountain was and all of the attractions before it actually happened. So that was some a big dream as well, that I wanted to go to Disneyland. Now, my family weren't that well off, and I imagine one day I might be lucky enough to go, but I didn't have I didn't kind of expect it was going to happen so the extent of your action was that you had a, a map a map so did you save any money no I did didn't. you save any allowance no yeah good on you okay you see there's a theme here and it's it, see isn't it funny I almost get embarrassed like oh I don't want to tell them that I didn't get right nose to pedal but there is a distinction here between the dream and the goal you went to Disney you went to the Olympics so let's Let's, well, let's actually talk about one more dream and then we'll, we'll tie them all together because they all kind of related a bit. Then there was another one. So there was something when you were, was it when you were watching TV with your dad? Yeah, similar age as the swimming thing. Um, I was watching football. Now where I come from, football is rugby league on TV. No, I would have been a little bit older, a little okay. bit older. And I said to dad, um, what, well, who's that? And that, it was someone that ran onto the field. They weren't even playing um, and helped the athlete when they fell over get back up. So I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. They've changed their life. That's awesome. The athlete can keep playing. So what's that? So dad said, that's a physiotherapist. And I said, cool, I'll be that. That's what I want to be, a physiotherapist. Huh. So that was probably, they're my three big dreams that I had in my younger years and I, I clearly didn't go and do anything about that either, um, except I wanted to find out what you had to do to become a physiotherapist.
I did. I did actually take steps, not straight away, because I know where you're going. I <laughs> you're did, scared of me now. I did take steps to find out how I would become that. Okay, so <laughs> I didn't plan to make this conclusion, but I hope everybody noticed that all of these dreams were sparked from watching something on TV. So we could say, oh, well, maybe I should let my kids watch TV more. But what I want to get, firstly, is that there was like a visual, like something actually kind of sparked your own vision for your life. You know, Oprah's dream was she wasn't watching TV. It was a visual of seeing something and then expanding it into how she could live it, right? So the reason I brought up the TV thing is that be really mindful of what your kids are being exposed to. You know, like take take time when it comes to their, their exposures because I think sometimes we don't put enough behind that. And, you know, with Netflix, you know, our daughter is watching Netflix as we speak so that we can do the podcast. And it's like, have you watched the shows they're watching? Like what is going in there? Because we can see the influences are so strong. So I think there's value in, in actually prioritizing that and it doesn't mean you're going to be able to control everything but it can mean that you you actually realize the impact so all your stories were originating from tv scenarios yeah so jordan today uh, was watching the crossfit games (laughs) and tia toomey who's australian is winning currently there's still a day to go and she jordan's like look at the muscles so that's what she saw from that experience and who knows what's going to come of that but Absolutely, that the it's really important to provide opportunities where they and yes, I didn't go to the Commonwealth Games, but I that absolutely was an event that my parents strategically wanted me to watch. Hmm. And so, um, back to how you became a realizer of dreams, whereas a lot of people could write down some of these dreams for their life and say, Hey, you know, that never happened for me, and that's that's okay too. Today is about you as well. If you think, you know, I didn't realize all my dreams. Our our dream for your life is that you actually um, realize that your dreams never went anywhere. You probably are getting in the way of them, okay? So I remember some of the dreams from my life that, like Nat, weren't so specific. They weren't so accurate. Like I just remember thinking, I want to play sports all day. Like, that was my thing. I was sport everything. And when I was thinking about my dreams, I had none of the realms of physiotherapists or any of those kind of ones. They were always sporty. And because I was doing gymnastics at the time, for me, I wanted to be a gymnast all the time. And going to the Olympics was as a gymnast. And then I I saw baseball because my brother was around and I was watching him and going to his games and watching it on TV. There's the TV again. Um, being from North America, this was one of two sports that was really on TV was baseball and hockey. And so my, you know, having started in T-ball, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And it was really interesting because that sport became really defined quickly because girls weren't allowed to go to the higher level of baseball. So only looking at that later, do I think, I wonder if that had an impact on my my life, you know, and and what I chose in the end, because baseball, you know, there was softball for girls and baseball was for boys. And so, however, the thing that I was seeing, I wanted baseball. I didn't want softball. I I didn't want that one. I wanted the other one. So, so this is where the dreams 
you know, start to become bound a little bit. So goals, Nat. When did you start to, um, let's say, you know, from the Disneyland trip into the Olympics, where were some times where things started to be stepped out for you? Mm. So were there certain teams that you were making and then you wanted to step yourself along? And I guess this is where the distinction comes of the goal versus dream. Goals are sort of there that you start making steps. The dream you shoot out and just go to the fridge and eat a cream donut, right? (laughs) Goals you actually reel in a little bit closer Mm -hmm. and you start to map out a plan. And if you're not doing that, can I suggest that's how you achieve your goals? Map it out. We we have our three-step process, Mm -hmm. um, which if you haven't listened to, you've got to go back to episodes sort of two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. That's where we really talk about our three-step process of dreaming and acting as if and mapping everything out. So that's what happens, right? You start to to, – the goal was all of a sudden – and this is where it's – so awesome to see the universe like you talked about with Oprah coming into this because I was off swimming I was at school studying then my swimming studying so Olympics physiotherapy in theory I'm on the right track and then all of a sudden there's a notice on the school notice board that says volleyball trip to Canada and America so my brain goes to America equals Disneyland (laughs) Disneyland must equal volleyball. What's volleyball? So I raced upstairs to the PE department and I said, what's volleyball? I want to go to America because if I get to America, that's where Disneyland is. And clearly that's how it's going to happen. So at the time, I didn't even know Disneyland was on the trip, uh, but I knew that I was getting closer. So then I was told, ironically, that I couldn't go. I was too young. I wasn't in the grade eligible to go on that trip. And I, because this was so important to me and I wanted it so much, I badgered and harassed the teacher so much that he then started to give me a list of what I had to do to get there. Mm. So this list became all of my goals and I just figured that if I followed this list, I would get to America. And he probably made the list so hard thinking that I wouldn't do it so that he'd be able to say, sorry, he didn't do it. And I did every single, I was the only one in the team to do every single thing on that list because clearly if I didn't do it, I wasn't going. So I started to map it out. That's when I started to map it out so that I knew what steps I had to take to get on the plane to get to Disneyland. Okay, so I'm going to just point some little highlights at area of what Nat just said because the dream of going to Disneyland had to be strong enough fun enough exciting enough like wake you up in the middle of the night enough you know get a map even though you live in Australia enough in order that when the list came with the steps the goal steps came you actually have the stamina to keep going when nobody else does. Like, this is the thing that we want to talk about today because I think we talk a lot about goals and everybody is just like, you gotta want it, you gotta have a burning desire. But the thing that I think got confused is that we don't have the, hmm, take it back a sec, 
because I actually do believe we all have the ability to dream, but we've got all these smoke screens in front of it. The smoke screens are like, how dare you think that? How dare you think you can be an Australian kid and go there? Your parents don't have enough money. Like, I'm just trying to put in some of the bounds. So why do you think the other kids didn't do it? Well, they well, weren't told they had to. They were kind of already qualified based on their age, and so they knew they were going anyway. Ah, and I see. They had, we had to fundraise. We didn't have the money. My mum and dad said, oh, we can't afford that. And I said, you don't have to. We're going to fundraise the money through car washes and raffles. And in Australia, we have lamington drives. You could Google that. And then um, I had to, every week, every single weekend for a year, show up at the supermarket and wash someone's car. Whereas the rest of the girls on the team and the boys that were there for soccer, they didn't. They wouldn't come. They didn't have to. Mm. But the more money we raised, the less it cost our family, which in the end was only $500 for three weeks to go away. It's pretty awesome. Because I'm thinking that a lot of the work that people are talking about lately is about resilience and grit and stamina, some of the backbones of what is required. But the skill that I think a lot of people aren't actually living into is the dreaming part. And the dreaming part is not as easy as you think. Because when you're three years old or you're eight years old, I actually think you just got it. We all have it in us, but we've got all these blocks on top of it. So one of the biggest things to dreaming is allowing it. Like allowing it to come to pass is what we believe makes people actually live out their dreams. They had a almost... Like when Nat said you have to throw the dream out there, if you hold it too tight, if you don't throw it far enough, meaning if it's not wild enough, if it's not like Jordan, our, our Jordan is three years old and because we lived in Switzerland for a year, we, we had lived on the lake and it overlooked the mountains and she always used to say, one day I'm going to live on the mountain in an ice cream house because she was sort of a little bit into... I'm going to, Frozen, I was going to say the Let It Go movie, <laughs> Frozen, and she, I guess, saw that, you know, the icy blast, you know, made staircases out of ice, well, why wouldn't you make them out of ice cream, right, her other favorite thing, so to her, she's going to live in an ice cream house on top of the mountain in Switzerland, like, why wouldn't you, right, she throws it out there, she doesn't need anybody to say, well, do you know how hard it is to get equipment up there? How are you going to get full tubs of ice cream up there to build, you know? And the ice cream will melt and all of those things. All the parameters. So one of the... There's parameters. When we were, when I grew up, there was this smart goal thing. Yeah, let's talk about how dreams are not smart. They're not smart, right? They're dreams transcendent. are not smart. They're transcendent. And that's what Oprah was bringing up. The transcendency of, I, even her dream as a three was the one tree but the transcendence is they're so not smart that a hundred showed up she couldn't even imagine that for her life so talk a little bit about how they're not smart now well um when, when i first started looking at smart goals there were slightly different words i mean now they talk about s for specific m for measurable a for attainable now when i went to school it was r for realistic it's now, when you Google it, R for relevant and T for time bound. So I think part of the, um, the thing that squashed a lot of dreams and goals was the realism part. Mm. 
you have to be realistic, people would say to you. And that the first, even when I hear that, my body trembles because who's, whose view of realistic and who has the view of what you can or can't do? Mm. And so dreams are definitely not smart. You do not put a measurement around a dream. A dream is something where you get to throw it out there and make it all up and then allow your vortex, the magnetism of yourself to bring something into your vortex that says, hey, now's the time to set some goals around this dream. And that can be a week, a day, Mm. a month, 10 years after you've launched this dream where you actually go, hey, there's a notice on the notice board that says volleyball trip to Canada and America. So I tick two birds with one um, one stone. I get to go to Disneyland and all of a sudden I found my Olympic sport. Who was to know? Mm. That volleyball, that, that path of going to Disneyland would actually get me to go to five Olympic Games. And I will challenge that as an eight-year-old, if you had been asked for the how, I think that that would have killed it kill it in and I think the how itself kills it for people and that's right you can't the the how can't just go away but it needs a new home and if you try to how your dream I think you kill it I think you start to bound it up because a dream as we see it is beyond space and time Mm. It, it it to be honest has never been done before by anybody Like it's never happened the way it's going to happen for you. So the how has to exist more like in the process. It's built over time and it's a step, but it's a staircase mechanism where you take one step at a time. And the best way to even take a step is just to lean into it and Mm. you fall like, and you have to step. So there are, the parameters to it, like Sarah talked about, the desire, like how much do you want your dream and how much do you, are you willing to, this is another big word, sacrifice, I guess. You've got to make choices at some times in your life. So for me to become an Olympian, I had to choose whether I would go to bed early or go out to the party. I had to make some choices. And I would always choose the step that would take me closer to my dream. I would ask myself the question at the fork in the road, is this going to take me, which way is going to take me closer to my dream? Because it was so important to me. And not that we plan to make this parallel, but, you know, there's a lot of talk between process-driven and outcome-driven. And what you just said between staircase and the stairs is without the staircase, the view, the vision, the pat, the emotion, like Nat can't even describe what it was, but the emotion of seeing, you know, that the swimmer standing on the podium, that emotion, it's like the big picture, the where I want to be, the staircase. And if, if we don't allow that almost like to bubble, you know, to allow that bubbling, um, then I don't know that anybody is actually going to have the grit. And even if they do, they'll get right to that end point and not even be able to enjoy it. And that's something I've always appreciated about your journey was your ability to be fully in the win, fully on the podium. Whereas most people, like you hear some stories about athletes, they can't even tell you what it was like. 
because they were so not present. They were freaking out. And so I love your story about how present you were able to be because you were like, I've been here before. Many times in my dreams. Yeah, that's a whole nother show. Like visualizing and seeing that in the show, in, in your view, you know, practicing Advanced Australia Fair, knowing that was what I, like I wanted to get on the podium and sing Advanced Australia Fair, which is our national anthem. So I had to know the words. Goal number one, learn Advanced Australia Fair if you want, if that's what you want to do. Um, so it, it is, it's really something that we here today uh, to inspire you to dream big. Dream again. Throw it out there. Don't start. As soon as your brain says, oh, I can't do that or how is that going to happen, stop, turn around 180 degrees, sit down and start again. Yeah. There is no... Nothing binding your dream at this point. And the best part about Sandy Champion, who you talked about, is her dream is to compete at the CrossFit Games. Oh, we just said it for her. Right? Her dream, I don't know, did she say it in the show? Sure. Uh, she might have actually. She yeah, have. to compete in the CrossFit Games, right? That's what she wants to do. Now, right now, she's a pretty long way away from that level. She hasn't set. But yeah, all the different steps. Yes, she hasn't put dream. It's the dream. Throw it out there, and then. But she's going to CrossFit. She is, and 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 you know when she started, she was probably the one finishing last, and now at her gym, she's basically finishing first. So that's so the steps are coming. But the thing that we really want you all to see is if you could live out Sandy Champion's dream, you would see how many people look at her and say. Or they don't even say it, but it's like, you can't do that. So one thing I really recommend with your dreams is hold them close to your heart. And this doesn't mean you don't tell people. What it means is you have to champion your own dream. Meaning you can't allow other people's realism to define. So our biggest message is stop trying to be smart, S-M-A-R-T, about your dream. And just learn the art of allowing. Because it's an art. It is something you practice. As Nat said, if you do the 180 turn start again, you can also call it green light thinking, which means that every time those little blockers come up, you just think, I'm just going to green light this thing. I'm every time you in. get a red light, green it up. Green it up, baby. And so, yeah, stop trying to be smart about the dream. Just dream. Go to our Dreamtime Meditation in Episode 2. So scroll all the way back because I know you've subscribed. And if you haven't, Clearly, that's a dream you need to have. Um, Subscribe. Go back to episode two and practice what it is to allow your dreams to live there. Don't start to howl them. Don't start to goal them out. We have those processes and they come as another entity. So build your... Build your... Not funnel. Build your bubbling over passion and enjoyment and just really cultivate what's always been there since you were a three-year-old and that should always put a smile on your face and if it doesn't go back and do the dreamtime meditation again until you are beaming with a smile over and out from us thank you so much for listening to the show don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
you've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.